If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Iowa Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. This is episode 131 of the podcast. If you're new to the show, I want to welcome you. Highway to Health is your place for trusted health guidance and resource. Whether you're looking to improve your health or just seeking ways to stay well, we're here for you. This growing community is on a mission to improve our state of being and experience together on the planet. I started this podcast as a way to explore ways to well-being and improve the, a dialogue about a more integrative approach to care. And this also means support in our communities. Zadeh Harut, my guest for today, is bridging care for so many people, expecting mothers, new mothers and children, disabled folks, and other vulnerable populations here in the community of Minneapolis. I met her at an event that I helped organize last summer alongside uh, Jason Soule, the amazing abolitionist organizer here in the Twin Cities. That event was recorded for the podcast if you want to go back and check it out. For those of you who aren't familiar, abolitionist practices are those that aim to create mutual aid and to prevent harm caused by state-funded systems, especially in black and brown communities and to vulnerable populations like the homeless, substance addicted, disabled, and LGBTQ. It asks us to put aside judgment and love people through their challenges, poor choices, recoveries, and problematic times. At just 24 years old, she's one of the most impressive people I've met in some time. When she's not doing work organizing and supporting her community, she's busy being mama to two young ones, homeschooling, and farming. If you're feeling a little inertia from the pandemic, get ready to be inspired into action. Here's my conversation with Zadeh Harut. We met at, at Jason's event, the Jason and my event, um, and he told me ahead of, you know, the, the night that he's like, you got to meet today. Like <laughs> that was, that was what he told me, like, right as we got there, he's like, I'll, I'll make sure you, I'll make sure I introduce you guys. And then, you know, it sort of got busy. It, well, there was a lot of people there and stuff. And then you came right over afterwards to me. And as soon as you started talking to me, I'm like, I bet this is the day. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know he mentioned that. This is funny. Yeah. Um, that was a cool event. It was really cool. And I was, you know, I'm always here to support Jason and all his amazing work. So how did you guys um, meet? Oh man, we met through a friend of ours that we both mutually had. And then she was like, Oh, you've got to meet Jason. Like he does a lot of the, um, support of like abolitionist stuff. That was like, I want to say five years ago, five or six years ago. Okay. Um, and then, then that we've just been really good friends and I've just always supported him. He's always supported me. Um, yeah. And I think that's how 
we met. Um, and then he had like a New York fashion show thing at, for Humanize My Hoodie in yep. New York. Did you go to that? Uh, yeah, I did. And it was so great. I was pregnant with my daughter. I had a big old belly and I was trudging along and I was supporting <laughs> it. It was really fun. Um, and it's just so awesome to see him do what he loves and like be in the moment, you yeah. know, like someone so powerful and compassionate and just very intentional about the movement yep. is like very rare nowadays. Um, so yeah, it, it was really cool. So that's what drew been, me in that, you know, I, we, when Jason and I just did an event in, in New York, uh, I guess it was in the fall. We, we did something at people's forum, which was really cool. Cause I have, I have a clientele. I, I lived out there for 13 years. So we got to kind of do that together. Some of my clients came and he brought a bunch of people in too. So it was, it was cool, but yeah, it, that was, you know, I, I had read uh, something about him and I kind of like bookmarked the, the interview and I was like, I want to, I want to meet this guy somehow, <laughs> you know, you just don't know how. And then I think yeah. I started, I started following him uh, on something and then, and then uh, w there's a woman, uh, Christine, who who does some work with volunteer work with him. Uh, started, I think he started. She started with Humanize. So she was wearing a hoodie. She came in for a treatment with me, and I was oh, like, Oh yeah, I got it. Oh, yeah, that there you go. There you go. <laughs> and I was like, do, do you know Jason? And she's like, Yeah, I, would, I work with him all the time. So she introduced oh. us, and then the the first we did a podcast together. Like this, probably 2020 or 2021, and I was just so impressed by how he was. He, he really was not looking for attention. Like if anything, he was deflecting and he was just like, you know, I, certain, certain things I can't be bothered with because I have so many details that I have to be keeping up with plus teaching, you know, and all the stuff. So I was, I was pretty impressed. And then we just kind of kept, you know, having conversations. He came in and saw me for treatment and we, we just started talking about things we wanted to do together. So it's been, it's been such a like, I, I'm kind of, I feel like so inspired every day by, you know, little things that I see him have going on. I'm just like watching and like, okay, I can do more. And I felt the same way meeting you, you know, part of, part of where I kind of got to and with, you know, with my journey into like the abolition work was it, it really kind of started, I didn't realize it, but it had started kind of when I, you know, when I was in, in New York, kind of figuring out what communities, you know, my community needed. That's part of the reason I got into doing work with babies and, you know, doing a lot of pre and postnatal work. So I, that, that was, that was just, I, nothing I really planned on in my career, yeah. but I'm so happy that I get to work with people at all these different levels with their families. And even transitionally, like I have families here in, in Minneapolis now who, you know, I'm working with the grandparents, the parents, caregivers, the babies. Like, I know exactly what's going on in that in that family, and I know when there's when there's a challenge going on, it's really easy to sort of help. So, and and I think you you enter in at this point, but you, what what's your what's your background and what's your story into kind of getting involved in the work? Yeah. So you know, I was always like an advocate for families and like being low income and having to take care of themselves. But it really kind of jump started when I got pregnant. Okay. Um, and I was needing support and I was needing help and full holistic like care. Um, and, you know, I experienced like some weird energy from like the hospital route when I was pregnant. Yep. Um, I also like, got a lot of like embarrassment and shame when I was asking for help through the county when I was pregnant, like mm. having economic assistance and stuff. And I was just thinking, going through these experiences, I'm like, where is the real holistic care? Yeah. Like, where is the care for, you know, black and brown individuals 
primarily to feel like they're being heard and their concerns and their um, pains are being actually listened to, you know? And so after I was going through these experiences, I'm like, you know what? When I'm done having this baby, I'm going to make my own systems of care for us. And it's going to be holistic. It's going to be intentional. And most importantly, it's going to be non-invasive because I think a lot of the time, Invasive measures for families who need care does more harm than good, some humiliation that goes into it. And, you know, part of the abolition movement, like, I don't feel like people need to explain themselves when they're seeking support, you know, unless they want to by choice. Right. Um, And so I was just feeling all of these feelings and I'm like, I'm just going to make my own systems. I'm going to do my own things. And um, it's just going to come with a different holistic approach. And, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can't essentially like do a lot of birth working things, but I can be an advocate and I can provide services and support for families that are going through the experiences and need additional, like, you know, assistance. Um, I need a village too, like to feel comfortable and safe. Right. Um, To, support themselves while they're carrying life. Um, So that's kind of how I got into it. And then, you know, there were tragic murders going around um, from, you know, state-sanctioned murders. And um, with that impacted a lot of families locally, right? And so um, when the families were being impacted, like there were mothers who were like, I can't even go to the pharmacy for my daughter's medication. This one mother was like, my daughter's all the way in Mankato. Um, She needs a ride. I need to get my daughter, right? Like she couldn't get her because she didn't have a car. Everything in the Twin Cities area was shut down due to the rebellion. This is another example. Um, So all of these needs were being needed to be met for families, for mothers, for caregivers. Um, And so I'm looking at these needs and I'm like, where's the services? Yeah. Where's the support? Yeah. So I just made my own. (laughs) I literally got together with other community members and we were like, let's coordinate rides. Let's coordinate drop-offs. Let's get her to her pharmacy. Let's just do it ourselves. And from then it kind of just continued on. We just kept supporting mothers and caregivers. We kept supporting babies. We kept supporting families. And now we're trying to move in a direction where things are a little bit more... I don't want to downplay what I'm doing now, but I do have big visions and dreams. Tell me. And we want to provide housing. Ah. Housing is like our end, you know, like providing housing and the housing creates a village for all of those who live in it, knowing that they can lean on each other, knowing they can support each other. Um, You need your baby watch. I need my baby watch. You know, you need to get something from the grocery. I'm going anyways. I'll get it for you. That's my big overall vision is housing and um, a village like community um, within that housing. But for now, you know, with the capacity that we have with the funding you know that we have available we just provide economic support kind of like on a low scale um holistic support and we're hoping to add doula support um because one of our team members is a doula oh awesome yeah yeah. i mean i i i mean i've just been watching some of your stuff following you on instagram and it's funny i i've I've noticed that some of my friends in new york actually follow you on instagram which is crazy yeah so, so one who just had a baby, actually. Oh, awesome. um, and so, anyways, so I, you know, one of the things that I really tuned into because I'm I'm a child of a single parent mother, 
And I know, I know what that struggle is. And I, I think, you know, cause, cause you were at this event that I, I grew up in a, you know, in, in a government funded development in out in New Hope Crystal area. And mm -hmm. it was brand new when I moved in. So, I mean, it was, it was nice, you know, as far as it's still there, I'm, I'm sure it is not nice anymore, <laughs> but, but, but growing up, basically it was like almost everybody who lived there were either, you know, uh, single parent and single parent kids, um, older veterans, disabled people. And that was, and that was kind of the makeup. And really it's almost kind of like what you're talking about. We all just kind of figured out how to, to do all these kinds of things. You know, we've, you know, one of my, the, this one kid who was one of my close friends was like four older, four, four years older than me. He became our babysitter. And then I became a babysitter for other little kids that, you know, at some point when I was a teenager, and then we had a lot of moms just kind of watching us all the time. We'd stay overnight at each other's places, you know, in the apartment complex all the time. We kind of knew where we were. There was a courtyard in the middle. So everyone was just hanging out there all the time. Right. And, you know, there was a field nearby and a basketball court. So we just, you could kind of look around and see where everything was happening. It was probably a pretty nice for the, for the mothers. It was probably a pretty, pretty nice thing, you know. In those places, there's always some there's always some sketchy stuff that happens, and you know oh, yeah. we had cop cars around, <laughs> but but it was but for the most part, I think even within the complex, we knew where where there were problems and where there you know what, who needed to be paid attention to, but it was pretty rare to be honest. So right, and that's the thing is that you know when you have spaces like that, everyone is holding each other to uh, accountability of protecting each other and mm -hmm. for being aware and knowing that you know this is this is a trust this is a trustworthy community right. and i feel like down down the line you know with so much surveillance and carceral violence like we've kind of lost that because we're like stuck in our own isolation and our own survival right. um and i think that's another pre reason why i kind of do this work with the lens of abolition because i really want like our communities to know that this can happen without the surveillance and without the reliance on the government, because, you know, we created this community, we created this city, right. we created this neighborhood, you yep. know, and yep. like going to be the ones to, to steer it in the way of safety. Um, and so that's why when we're talking about villages and we're talking about community and we're talking all these safe spaces and stuff, like it really takes our own personal, um, involvement and engagement and like our own will too. like, yeah. you know, if you don't want to be a part of a community centered spot, you know, like that's going to cause a lot of issues for the neighborhood that you're in. Cause you're not going to know what's going on, who lives there. Right. Like you said, yeah. um, where they can go to, you know, get refuge or any support should anything happen. Um, so it'll make it hard for people who don't want to have that village. But I think a lot of people don't even know that it's possible. Right. We've all been in such a survival mode of like, I have to take care of myself. I have to take care of myself. It's yeah. just me, 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 you know? And it's just, it's hurt us in so many ways. And I think about it, especially with like mothers and caregivers and parents, um, whether they're single or low income or disabled, um, you know, or don't have a family that they can rely on. Right. Uh, it, it just causes so much damage to our youth. Yeah. And obviously to the parents and the caregivers that are taking care of the youth. And I feel like we can really break this cycle by saying, hey, you know, like I'm in charge of the community I want. Like I'm a part of it. I'm in charge. Um, and taking that power back and saying it's in our own hands to provide this safety is just so powerful. And that's why, you know, when we're doing the work with my nonprofit Seeds We're Sowing, I'm like, dang, you know, we're not providing thousands of dollars to people and we're not providing housing, yeah. but 
I'm noticing like the little things that we're doing actually are so profound because the families that we've cared for have came back and said, hey, I created a, a period or a tampon drive in my apartment complex yep, from yep. working from guys and getting the support. And that ripple effect is just like unexplainable for me. That's, that that so is it too. You know, I mean, and, and this is what I, I talked, you know, when I first started, you know, Jason was turning me on to all sorts of stuff to read and and it was one of the things that I just picked up on right away was, and I think because it's it's my nature just in general to like try to figure out how, you know, to, how to solve a problem. Like that's, that's all I'm really looking to do it. And, and, you know, a lot of it was that it was abolition was like a healing practice. It was basically saying like, these are the, these are the vulnerable populations that are, that are, you know, for whatever reason, not getting the kind of care and support that they need. And we, and we have so much judgment on, oh, do they have a, a drug problem or, you know, they, they, they're a young mom who got pregnant. Like, like that's, you know, we don't have to get into whose fault all these things are, but I'm just saying it, 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 that, that is the judgment that goes on in all these situations when really we shouldn't, we shouldn't even, we shouldn't even, we should just skip that, that step and just be like, all right, this person's in a bad, bad place. How can I help? Well, and I think, you know, we can acknowledge it and see the support that's needed on those types of levels because, you know, those add factors into how this person is going to need care for their situation. Right. Yeah. Um, I think the emphasis on it is definitely, um, it's, it's emphasized in a manner that's not actually impactful, but it should be emphasized because then you know how to su provide the specific support. Yeah. And this is where, you know, like the services that, like we have this program coming up in the spring um, and it's for families who are wanting to learn more alternative ways of safety and care yeah. um, while they're mothering or fathering or parenting through substance use or domestic violence yeah. or um, maybe uh, they are dealing with immigration things like being undocumented. Yeah. Um, so like how do you parent in those types of um environment in a safe manner so that the child feels safe yeah. and they feel prioritized. Those things do need to be emphasized, but not in an exploitive, um, invasive kind of like, I don't know the word, but it's like a manner that makes it feel like shameful. Right, right. You know, we have to move from that. Yeah. Um, and I think the way that our systems are made, obviously, is not only just made out of like exploitation, but you also get punished for it. Right. Like you get punished for doing these things. Yeah. And so that's why I find a big issue with the language of how people talk about those who, like you said, are young parents or who use substances or, you know, it's kind of like, you know, what's the root issue? And so it's like we can address these things and emphasize on it, but the language has to be specific. So if people feel like they can re rehabilitate themselves and reintroduce themselves back into the community in a positive manner and not yeah. just feel like they're thrown into it. Right. And just like, okay, I'm fending for myself, fending yeah. for my own children. Um, and people kind of put this idea of like the perfect, the perfect helpless person, <laughs> like, Oh, just poor them. They're just low income and they can't work. It's like, there's no such thing. There's going to be people addicted. Yeah. There's going to be people um, who are um, domestic violence survivors. There's going to be people who are undocumented. These are the imperfect people that are still worthy yeah. of support and of, and of care, um, no matter how that looks. Right. And I saw, and this brings me into the point of knowing that 
on my own lens of things and my own deprogramming of things, what is it that I can do to provide that support um, and still evolve my awareness? Because we're always going to be developing more awareness and how we can so- support one another because yeah. we're still on earth, right? I call it our right. earthly like our ego, our sense of like wanting to be righteous and to be morally correct. And that is a constant battle as abolitionists that we're having is being morally correct, right? Right. (laughs) Um, Such a battle Um, being like, this is right and this is wrong. And like, actually, the whole purpose of abolition is nuanced and it's complex and there's no one way. That is why when doing this work, you have to build that openness and that like willingness to be wrong, because we're always going to see that imperfect person that's going to probably challenge our own inner inner thoughts. Um, it's and a more realistic why. vision. I mean, it's like we, 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 we you know, the, I know um, Mariam Kaba says, you know, like a million different experiments. And, and I, I think we need to kind of get back to that mindset a little bit. We've gotten into such a like, you know, there's no gray area. No, there's it's like it's mostly gray. I mean, because as you're saying, you know, you just don't know what that person. And this is one of the things I try to do in my practice with people is like, you know, maybe they come to me with neck pain. And then as, as I start working with them more and more, I find out they're also a rape survivor. They also Mm -hmm. have like really, you know, a lot of, a lot of issues in their family, or they've been, you know, they were homeless for two years or, you know, you start, you start hearing all these things. This is not just about this person's neck. If I don't get that whole story, I, I, I don't, I don't have any sense of like, what sort of support does this person actually need? Sometimes it's in healthcare and sometimes there's other resources around maybe somebody like, like you who who just knows like all right this person needs some clothing right now and then you fig- with the, then we figure that part out you know what i mean or they're going for a job interview and they need some they need some clothes for this there's like so many you know nuanced ways in which i think we can we can help people and we have yeah. to get out of this and and this is why i'm so impressed with you today <laughs> it's like you, you know how old are you 25 26 i'll be i'll be 24 next 24 week. I mean, yeah. I, and, and, you know, I think what a lot of people will do is they'll go kind of head down, like, let's just focus on my career. I'm going to have my kids. I'm going to get my career, you know, in a good place. And then I will help people. And you're just like right out of the gate. You saw, you saw the struggle. Oh. You figured it out. I was in the struggle, right? Like most folks who organize this type of work are a part of the communities they're advocating for. And I think that lens is so important because we make it seem like you said, once I'm up, I can support. But it's like, actually, folks who've been doing this work and who've laid that pathway for us years prior were a part of the struggle. And they were battling things within their communities and were like, wait, hold on. Let me let me do what I can do. Right. Like the Black Panther Party, Fannie Fannie Lou Mae. Fannie Lou Hamer, um, all these phenomenal, profound organizers and activists and leaders were struggling with their people. Right. And so it takes that lens to know what needs need to be met. Yeah, I and agree. so, you know, me being a low income black woman, a black mother dealing hearing these statistics like, oh, black maternal health, you have a 300 percent higher risk of dying in labor. All of these things. It's like, so what is the answer? Right. A doula. Yeah, that's great. But the real answer is that, you know, this system doesn't listen to black people Right. <laughs> So we're in labor. And we're like, hey, my blood pressure, I just my heart is racing. I'm hot. I'm sweating. My feet are swollen. Like that is just a, oh, you're so strong. You can handle this. Right. And yep. then they unfortunately pass away delivering. Right. right. 
this is not just a, oh, you need a doula. This is like, this system needs to listen. And, and, and you had a health scare, didn't you? I'm sorry? And you had a health scare, didn't you? I did. Um, I fainted during my pregnancy. I was vegan and extremely malnourished. <laughs> um, not saying that those two are synonymous, synonymous yeah. but it was definitely just like a need needed to be met and I wasn't meeting it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I fainted when I was pregnant and that was extremely horrifying for me. And that also kind of gave me that lens had I not had a doula and that extra advocate like voice for me, um, I probably wouldn't have caught on to the things I needed to do to feel supported because um, I wanted to have a birth center birth with my first child. And they were like, we can't take you unless you um, get your iron levels up, you'll have to transfer to a hospital. And those are just like big red flags. So I'm like, I cannot go to a hospital. Like hearing from my elders and from people I care about, like their horrifying traumatic experiences delivering in a hospital, I was like, that just is not an option for me, right? Yeah. And like I just knew probably intuitively that I wouldn't feel as advocated for in a hospital. Yeah. And um, this is just my own personal experience, but in my own personal feelings, but I just feel like hospital settings usually aren't empowering for people who yeah. are pregnant. Yeah. It gives a lot of like fear surrounding and like hesitancy, like you can't, for example, you can't eat um, when you're in labor just in case you have to have a C-section. But and for me, I'm like, why would you even expect that or prepare for that? Right. right like right. I would feel I would want to feel empowered in knowing I can do this. Right. Yeah. And so that's why I went the birth center route, because I wanted that advocacy and that empowerment of wanting to deliver in my own personal state and not having to expect or prepare yeah. on an energetic or spiritual level for a cesarean. Right. And, you know, it's not me saying like, oh, don't have a hospital birth because what works for folks is going to work for folks. Yeah. I want to put that like kind of emphasis that, you know, wanting to get that holistic care and have your own charge and power of your labor and delivery um, is a little bit more possible in a birth setting or a home birth setting. Yeah. And so that's why I'm an advocate. I did have my son at home and it was um, the most magical thing. And I felt so supported and I felt like things were in my own hands, which is why I, I talk about these things on my platform. You know, I talk yeah. about um, alternative ways to birth and how to get your mindset ready, how to get your spirit ready, how to get your body ready. Um, these things are so powerful for, for pregnant people. You want to feel empowered. You don't yeah. want to feel discouraged, right? Yeah. Like, and that ties into abolition and feeling empowered to do things um, for yourself, for your family, um, that'll in turn benefit your community or your neighborhood. Right. Uh, and it, it starts in pregnancy. It starts before you even conceive, really. But, you know, if we're talking about vulnerable people in this stage of nine, 10 months, plus the postpartum phase, you really got to just like focus on what healing looks like for you. And that starts even before you conceive. Yeah. And, so. and it's, and it's, and it's the thing that I've always struggled with as far as, you know, thinking about how we create support systems, you know, the, the, the way that they've been done from a, from a state level, because, you know, if you want to, if you, you know, we, we just went through this whole rezoning thing in our, you know, in our school district. And I went to the first meeting and it's like, Yes, I, I see how you want to work on on improving test scores, but you're not you're not really looking at what the bigger picture is as far as like the social needs of of these communities. It's it's they're just completely missing that step, and it and it really I I mean my feeling you know and, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. It it needs to start at that maternal level of bringing that child into the world. I mean that is where things are gonna are either gonna you know go right or go wrong. 
Yeah, and you know, it's either it's and it's it's where it's it's where you start with a healthy foundation, or you know, when you have small kids, it's chaos. <laughs> so oh, yeah. if you if you had a if you had a horrible pregnancy or delivery or both, and then you have in any sort of complications with a with a baby, and there's always there's many. My daughter had meningitis when she was 12 days old. So you know, I mean, the the kinds of things that can really just throw you off, and then. You know, depending on what your income level is, you know, the, the, that that is that is how we build society. It's like from that that's that's the level. I feel like that's the foundational level. Yes, those factors play a major part in our parenting styles, our parenting techniques, and our emotional capacity to parent. Like from our finances to the way we birth. Like yeah. birth trauma is real. Postpartum, that period is real, and it can cause a lot of damage to families who haven't felt that support and care right. and feel like they were acknowledged, right? Because yes, the baby matters, but so does mom, so does parent. You know, they have a, you know remarkable part into how this human is going to raise themselves. Yeah. And so when they don't feel like their needs are being met, um, what does that cause, right? For our test levels, for our children to develop interpersonal relationships, right. for our children to be into the community, um, those things are so impactful. And yeah. I think that doing this work with families has just kept reiterating for me how, yes, it does start during pregnancy, postpartum, like those vulnerable moments will definitely steer the trajectory of that child and that parent's life and the yeah. family's life. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why it's so easy for me to be hard on myself and say, I'm not doing enough, you know, like there's so much that needs to be done. And I'm learning to not listen to that. That's the devil. I am not yeah. listening to that anymore because it's truly not, it's not correct. The, the small thing. Are you talking about as I, a parent? as a parent um, and as an organizer, right? Because yeah. I'm parenting while I organize and while I do community work, yes. Um, and I think that's my superpower. Um, I was at a, a, what do you call that? A, it was like a learning session with the Minnesota Freedom Fund last night. And one of the questions were, um, what's your superpower? And I said, you know what? Mine is mothering while I do community work. Yeah. Because that is something that is always a hard balance. I, I know you know what I mean as a yeah. parent and as someone who's trying to do um, work for families and work for people. It can be very murky. It can be yeah. very confusing to see like your identity within this work um, and, and separate that. And so for me, um, constantly dealing with that is it's fun, but it's also stressful at times. And right. um, setting boundaries with myself as a parent and also as a organizer and, you know, community worker is, is a lifelong thing, I would say. Yeah, you got to you, you protect your own energy in this situation because, you know, there's, there's a lot of demands on you and trying to figure out how to also keep you well in the, in the mix is, is challenging. Right. I, I, it goes, it goes along with almost all caregivers, I think. And I've, you know, I kind of think about your work and even Jason's work as being, you know, kind of a caregiving type of work. It's oh, a, yeah. it's a, you know, organ, even organizing in general. I mean, there's being at that sort of management level of a, of a project. It's like, there's so many different things going on that you have to be mindful of at all times. And also you're dealing with a lot of different personalities and that's, that's a lot to balance. Yes. And most of the time you don't get rewarded for it nope. or you don't nope. get any type of like, uh, people think it's like a, a income worthy type of thing. And, you know, I'm a very open book about things like you don't get much compensation right. in care of your community. Um, it's really about the, the willingness in your heart and the compassion and the um, intentions that you have 
for a liberated world that's going to keep you going. Not the money, not the acknowledgement, um, and yeah, not the not the sustainability. That's it's just like a part of the work, right? So that's I think you're right. It, this is a caregiving role in its own default because you are providing for others. You're responsible for taking care of them and relieving issues, um, whether on a social, political level or a physical, tangible level. Yeah. Um, so I think that definitely it'll be hard to balance the two. Um, it's not impossible, but it definitely is more sacrificial than it is like a mutual thing. But that's why I also do promote mutual aid. Because that, well, I that's do it. A way to get relief. Right. Um, an organizer and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I was it was interesting. I have have you seen that documentary with um, with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu? It's called no, it's called Mich- it's called Mission Joy, and yeah. it, you you just reminded me. I I just saw it last weekend. One of the things that they get to, you know, with talking about really trying to figure out where where joy comes from because they've both been through such tough lives, you know, in in many ways, um, and. At, at the same time that what, what they kind of both figured, you know, for themselves was that the joy came from knowing that they could, that they could have a place where they could help people in the world, that, yeah. that it was really, you know, when, when it, when it, when it comes to, you know, all these things that we're really looking for, you know, th- thinking we can get joy from, whether it's like material things or an accomplishment or career success, whatever it is, it doesn't really give us it gives us very little of that actual let that that and I think about it as as it's like this contentment under the joy you know it's like with the joys the are these fleeting moments but but that contentment of, of feeling good about who you and, and solid about who you are as a person is really what carries you know the energy too absolutely I 100% agree um, my sister has a housing company she's a registered nurse and she houses disabled folks um, so those who have um, any disability that's verified through like state governmental um, measures, she provides housing for them Mm. um, and services. So I've been working closely with her for about seven months now with housing disabled people um, here in the Twin Cities. And oh man, has this been humbling for me. I bet. Um, I'm going to share actually a story that just recently happened. So a client of ours, he has... um, I don't know what type of waiver he's on and what type of disability he exactly has. Um, he has his own autonomy. However, one of his things is that he's uh, pretty gullible. I don't know mm. what that is under like disability things, but like he's very easily persuaded. Yeah. Um, and so we were at a store and I was away from him for like two minutes. <laughs> and he calls me and he's like, hey, I'm at the electronic section. I'm like, why are you at the electronic section? So I get there. And one of the representatives, like the teller people, were doing their marketing sales of getting folks to get a new phone plan with them. Mm. And so he was thinking it was so cool. So he like canceled his whole phone plan and just signed up. Right. And for me, I was like, I kept asking him, I'm like, are you sure you want to do this? You know, they're saying that it's going to be cheaper, but we're looking at the paperwork that he's signing and it's actually not. Uh. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, are you sure? He was so sure. And he has his own autonomy and his own choice and decision. Mm -hmm. And so as support staff or a support worker, I just 
had to say, okay, I can't force him to do anything. I can't force anything. And that that moment for me was just very humbling because it puts a lens on the fact that, you know, disabled folks have autonomy and they have rights and they have yeah. choice yeah. and they can speak up for themselves. And so because they can do that, you know, even though someone might say, hey, this might be a better alternative or a better route, like they still have that voice and we have to respect it. Yeah. And it gave me such another perspective into this movement that like people have the right and the autonomy and the choice no matter what it looks like to us no matter how right or wrong on a moral basis it may be they have that choice and so for me it was just like a another thing right like in this movement we always have that oh right you know and that was that for me and just understanding that here in this community work we are here to support each other in the decisions that we have. And here comes the nuance to yeah. that. Because sometimes I don't agree. Right. Um, and sometimes I feel like I might know what, what might be best for you, but I can't give that choice for you. Right. No matter what I I my experience is or my expertise is. Like I I don't have to say only in my own decisions and my own response to this yeah. life. And yeah. so that was so humbling for me. It was just humbling. I, I sometimes but it was humbling. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even even people who we wouldn't consider to be, you know, uh, have have a disabled label, right. are, are depending on what our background is and what our you know our our traumas in our past or you know what whatever things have happened to us. And sometimes, you know, I work with a lot of people who have had traumatic brain injuries where it's not really clear exactly what's going on with them. Sometimes yep. it just seems like a memory issue or it's, there's an emotional, you know, surge that happens once in a while. It's really hard to gauge these things. But to me, it's the same kind of humbling thing that's happened for me. I, I see myself in in them a lot of times where I'm like, oh, I know when I when I make, you know, bad decisions based on these kinds of things yeah. too. And and again, it goes back to that whole judgment thing, and it's a lot. A lot of what I feel like I've learned about myself through the abolition work is, is like, I've had a lot of judgments about different kinds of things. You know, even with even though I've lived in very diverse communities, like I still find myself like in so many different ways. Sometimes it's about a younger person. Sometimes it's about, you know, a, a bad choice that I just think they made, but not not really willing to kind of sit with that and be like, you know, they they have to go through this. I mean, I'm I'm dealing with it as a parent now. You know, <laughs> yeah, with teenagers, right? Right, and and but I but I think they. The more that you give to them to, to make those decisions, that really the, the the better decision makers they become, too. So you have to let those things happen. Yes. And it's such a battle, right? Like, I think that we see abolition practices as something that you have to, like, do profoundly. Like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. But it's actually, like, little things like that, like letting them have the choice and the freedom and supporting and loving them through those choices and freedoms. Like, yeah. it's that is abolition. That is a practice. That is a lens and a framework. And a lot of us can get caught up in the language on social media of like, this is what it looks like to be an abolitionist. You must do this. And it's like, really, it's about the habits and the behavior and the language that you're doing to the people who you are in your loved circle right now and how you're treating them to have them feel like they're feeling loved by you in an unconditional, not unconditional, because love is has conditions, but in a way that is, um, I guess, uh, full spectrum, yep. a level yeah. of full spectrum. Like, yeah. even though I don't 
agree with you. I love you and I'm here. Um, and I won't make you feel bad or feel like you can't access me in a way because I don't agree. Right. And, you know, I think that it's going to be a forever battle. I'm always battling with that inside of like morality and ego and judgment um, in this field of abolition. But that's important. I have to have that battle because right. that's how I work through it. And I, I always say this, like, I'm problematic. We all are. We right. all have problematic right. right. And that's okay. If we're going to be within each other's faces and neighborhoods and communities, like, we've got to be like, someone's going to have a hot take we don't agree with. Someone's yep. going to have the way that they leave, live that we don't agree with. And if we don't like come to this realization now, we're going to have this consistent black and white cancel culture type of thing. Right. And I'm just not with that for our abolition movement. Right. I don't think that's causing any liberation. And I don't think that brings any unity. Right. Like expect people to be problematic. Folks are coming from environments that are like unexplainable. Seriously. Like we don't see it um, maybe personally or with our own eyes, but these things shape folks' mindsets and survival. Yeah. Um, and so we have to move with love and with patience and with grace um, or else how are we going to liberate each other, yeah. you know? Yeah. So. I mean, and I, I, I just recently, I was just thinking, I don't know if I read something that triggered this or, or what it was, but something about like <clears throat> cancel culture in some ways you know, has, we've had many points in history probably, but I was thinking about the fact that like Jim Crow uh, on some level was like the beginning of, of, it was the beginning of, of the industrial prison complex. That was really the, the, you know, the, the changeover that started to happen. And, and whereas I think before that we had some jails and we had things going on and the idea of rehabilitation was sort of like in the mix, like, okay, we got this guy in the community and it's when communities were smaller, right? We got this guy in the community. He, he's got a drinking problem. We got to keep throwing him in the pen, you know, and he right. becomes like a comical character almost for the, for the community. It wasn't such a, a big deal. And then suddenly we, you know, you know, with Jim Crow, we started having these things where it's like, let's just make that disappear. Like we don't, we don't want, we don't even want to see that anymore, which I mean, I think has led, you know, full to where we are today, which is where people can't make a mistake without being canceled. And if you're a black or brown skinned person, you know, it's even quicker. You're, you're way more vulnerable in, in any given situation. And that's, and that's kind of where I feel like, you know, we, we have to, we have to take back some of this, you know, and, and, and a lot of those, a lot of these things that I'm talking about, you know, they happen for, you know, reasons that we, we can, we can sort of identify in, in some ways, but also reasons that are just like driven by greed and business interest and all these things too. So, I mean, I think, I think part of, part of what abolition does is it actually cancels out the, some of that aspect of, of where 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 moneyed interests can can infiltrate and yes and i think we have and to be careful with it in some ways right uh, yes absolutely and i think that having that punishment approach to things is why we have children who continue to mimic behaviors that might not be positive and then hurt um other children and hurt other people and then grow right. up to be in the Society where they think harm is a cyclical thing that's that's normal right. and that's why you know families who live on the north side or who, who live in environments that are always being like just like abused on so many different governmental levels and stuff is that we we tend to forget that these behaviors are severely impacting our youth 
in mm-hmm. ways that we don't even notice until we start to see news headlines and statistics and all these things. And I think one of my favorite things I've, I just recently read was that, you know, Black women are usually blamed as mothers for the reason why their children have behavioral issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, for white women and white mothers, it's kind of like, oh, that's just a a happening i don't know yeah, how it's happening chemically in their body yeah, somehow it's a chemical imbalance right yeah or like they have um a historical genetic thing right whatever mm-hmm. it may be but for us like we get the brunt end of the reason why violence and crime and all these things are happening in our yeah. community it's the black mother's fault for not doing whatever it may be yeah. right and let me say this i don't think that black mothers do not have a role somehow in their children's behaviors. However, I do think that the factors that play into the environments that a lot of Black mothers are in is the reason why their children make these choices and behaviors because of where they are. And because of the survival mode that many parents and families have to be in. And so, because I always try and say, like, I never make excuses for people there is a reason why and those reasons why can give us um a way of prevention and and stopping shit in its tracks oh yep. excuse my language that's all right <laughs> um but you know because i get very sensitive about these i hear you babies, you know um these these babies don't have um a lot of freedom to absorb this information they don't have a choice to say you know what i'm not listening to that they are put in these environments by their own will without you know whatever and so for me it's just been how can i get to the root of these which is why we created our parenting through um parenting with safety program because we're trying to get to the root like if you're going to choose to parent in this environment with these decisions that you're making Mm -hmm. how can you do it with a safety plan and with with intentions that provide care and 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 uh, attention to your children and to yourself so that although you're choosing this you can feel supported that should anything happen you know who you can rely on and you know what you can do alternatively you know yep um because people are going to choose to do what they want to do as parents, whether they got babies or not. But like, we have to make sure that they have these options of support to continue to have their children be looked after um, no matter what. And And it's, and some accountability. I mean, it seems like I I was just reading through some of the stuff on your, on your website with, uh, so for any, I'll, I'll have all this stuff in the show notes for anyone who wants to check out seeds worth sowing your, your nonprofit. But one of the things I I saw was that you're going to start offering some consulting um, and, and I feel like that's, it's, it's almost kind of like this advocacy that needs to happen. Like you're saying, and, and I, and I've, and I have, you know, we have a, my daughter has some friends with, with single parents right now. And I can, because, and, and I grew up single parents, so I'm very tuned into like, this parent has no one to talk to about these decisions and they're making some bad decisions sometimes, you know, and, and, and to, to be, to be able to just be there and say, what are you, what are you having trouble with right now? Is there anything we can help you with? Do you guys need, do you need a, do you need a night off? You know, whatever right. it is, Absolutely. those are the kinds of things that need to happen. 
Yes, they are. And and without and without feeling like we have to be all in their business right. um, about them wanting to disclose. And now, like if we approach it in a way that obviously you see that we care and we want to see you happy and we want to see you parenting with joy, um, that should make you feel comfortable. Right. To, to share what you want to share. Um, but you don't want to do it in a forceful manner that makes it seem like we can't help you unless you tell us what's going on. Right. And you give us proof. Yeah. Right. Like a lot of folks want to proof, like show me that you're struggling show yep. me that you're going right, to right? right. and that's its own problematic process on itself right and that's actually why i even started this work because when i was trying to get support from the government they wanted me to show them that i yeah. was struggling and show them that i needed all this help and i was like, like uh, the bags under my eyes <laughs> because i'm in survival mode but yep. this should not be the normal standard of how ah, people get terrible <laughs> yeah but that's that's very true that you know um the consulting that we provide is to, we call it the root of issues, right? To get to the root of the issue. Like, what is it beyond the physical things that you are going through that you need support in? Yeah, yeah. And, like, how does that look like for you? Because it's different for everyone. What kinds of and, things do you tend to see with, you know, or, or expect to see, you know, with, with people or from your own experience that, that, are, that are those root issues? So the root issues we're finding is folks don't have stable housing. Yeah. Um, folks don't have um, a family like system, support system to rely on to care for their children when they need that break or when they need additional help. Yeah. Um, and a lot of folks don't feel safe to ask for help because they are undocumented. Mm -hmm. um, so those were the those are the root issues we're kind of identifying that we notice with the clients that we see. Um, and uh, we, we, that's why we also emphasize um, when we're meeting with people like, you know, this is confidential mm -hmm. and uh, nothing's going to be sold or sent to or shared with anyone outside of our organization because yeah. being undocumented, right. Or like being a survivor of some way or dealing with a restraining order. And like, you have a high profile job that you don't want people to know about. Yeah. Those things are very, very important um, for the clients that we support. So um, we we found that those were the main patterns, but, you know, it varies a lot. Yeah. And and this is maybe a little bit of an aside, but are you still, I know you were pushing into trying to create a, a, a CSA, your farmer as well? Yes. <laughs> so we are definitely still trying to, well, right now we're on break for the CSA. We do provide like consulting and workshops to folks who are aspiring to farm and do rural living. Um, but we're actually in like the process of trying to um, get our own land. Um, we were like doing it on my mom's land. Um, but where we're was, where was that? Or it where was her in land? Willow River. Where's, where's that? So, Willow River is like you're going to Duluth, okay, but not that far. Okay, but it's on 35. It's so on, okay. like, it's kind of yeah. Like if you're going up to Duluth, um, it's like one of the the stops or the exits uh, before that. Okay, yeah, about an hour. I'd say an hour and fifteen minutes. Okay, away. okay. Mm -hmm. are, are you have have you ever done any anything with urban farming? No, I've always farmed rurally. Um, that's just what I know. Yeah. But actually, let me take that back. When I was younger, um, my mom did do a lot of like the pioneering for like urban farm farms and stuff yeah. in the north side. Um, she had this program called the Northside Food Project when I was a kid. And it was a project of having um, allowing farms to be in the urban areas where there was like 
nothing going on on the land um, and allowing folks to be able to grow food and grow produce and like market it as well. Um, She was a part of that when I was a kid. And so we did a lot of urban farming then, but that's my only experience um, with urban farming. A lot of my farming is uh, simply rural um, being on beautiful luscious land that hasn't been touched and sprayed and chemically you know, drained with things and growing produce and having chickens. We had some goats, but we didn't use them for any reason. We just had chickens for eggs. And then we had peppers and tomatoes. And so we're hoping to blend those with the work that I do with my families um, because the land that we're wanting um, has some homes on there. And so we would love to provide Ah. housing here for an exchange of like helping us grow and you know being a part of that like ecosystem of like village growing our own food and preserving yeah so that's my other big dream that's cool <laughs> do, do your kids like it oh yeah oh my gosh my children love it i feel like what baby does it like what children it's don't true. love to be Get- feeding the grass and feeling the sun and penning animals and you know feeling what it's like to have soil in your hand yep yep for sure yeah. Um, c- circling back around to the maternal care stuff, do you have any, any, uh, I can't remember if there's anything on your website that are links to, you know, for like, I mean, I, I would, one of the things that I was, I want to talk to you about eventually at some point too, is I've been thinking about a lot of the networks that I like to build are for support and especially for more kind of vulnerable, vulnerable populations. So we'll get together at some point and kind of talk about how to, how to work on, on some, getting some bridges built with that. But uh, do you have any links or anything like that on your website as far as like black and brown maternal care is concerned? Um, so I have a doula that I suggest anyone who is looking for one for me, um, I suggest that doula, their name is Nadine, um, pronouns are they, them, they are phenomenal full spectrum doula and, um, they provide pre post and I think a little bit after I'm correct. Um, um, so yeah, I recommend I recommend that for doula support. Any birth working information or birth advocacy things that people want to know, especially about home home birthing yep. or like alternative birthing methods, um, they can always just personally reach out to me. Okay, cool. Um, I do just free consulting for any families that want to learn more, um, even for fathers who want to learn how to support their partners um, and yes. doing home birth because that can be nerve wracking for many, right? Like seeing. Some people even do free births where they don't have a midwife and they don't have a doula. Like they mm-hmm. just do it with their partner and in, in their home and they just do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if folks are interested in learning more about like how they can engage with um, the advocacy and the awareness of maternal things, they can obviously follow my Instagram. I share a lot of information on um, like the newest statistics and new ways to support and all these things. Um, and I suggest... If you have a pregnant person in your life right now, um, if they have a doula fund or if they have a postpartum fund, donate to that. Give them funding for that because that's going to be a big part of them feeling um, like they have their support team. Yeah. And then the other question I had for you is as far as your nonprofit is concerned um, and fundraising, uh, are you looking for fundraising? Is there... uh, What are your sources right now and are, are there places people can donate to you? 
Yes. Um, you know, we we do receive foundation grants here and there, um, but we definitely sustain from community donations, okay. like uh, subscribers, like monthly donors that we have. Cool. Um, but yeah, we always looking for donations um, financially to be able to sustain um, donations go towards our programming to give economic support um, to also give tangible items to give to deliver the items too mm-hmm. we have a whole different system for families and um, we also provide safe spaces like we try and host gatherings and events where we provide holistic services so we had one event a few years ago where we provided like chiropractic care it was an event where it was like chiropractic care um, body work, acupuncture, and it was all free for black and brown caregivers. And it was really, really awesome. Cool. It was also during the George Floyd impact. So that was, that was beautiful. So, um, that's where donations go towards awesome. being able to provide those programs and services. Thank you so much today. This is like, I, I've, I've been wanting to just understand more of what you do and I kind of got it, I think now, finally. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm definitely multifaceted. So like you brought up my farming, you brought yep. up the maternal care support that I do, and then also the nonprofit and housing. Um, I do a lot of things, so I don't like to put a label to myself, but everything I do definitely is so important and close to me. And, you know, we've supported over 600 families and it's just been so amazing. So humbling and beautiful to support families and, and individuals and their babies too. You yeah. know, that's all about. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate you, and um, I, my my offer still stands. Come in and, and get a treatment from me at some point. Oh yeah, I'll <laughs> take you up on that for sure. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much today. <laughs> Zadeh Harut, folks. My involvement in the abolitionist movement here in Minneapolis has introduced me to a group of the most caring, thoughtful humans I think I've ever met. It's easy to believe watching the news or from what we see on social media that our cities are failing and communities are being splintered. I would challenge that if anything, we are failing our cities, expecting government and policies to solve our problems. And I've seen some amazing organizing and community networks beginning to be built. And I believe there's going to be a renaissance. Financial support for a project like today's is one way that you can become involved if you're feeling inspired by this conversation. And I'll have links here if you want to check out the show notes. I also highly recommend looking for a neighborhood organization, abolitionist group, or anyone in your immediate community that could use support. A single parent, an elderly or disabled person, or even just a friend you know is struggling. All of these help improve the well-being around us. If you love this conversation and would like to re-listen or watch us have this conversation, you can find it on the Highway to Health podcast channel on YouTube. Let me know what you thought of this topic and conversation. You can reach out to me anytime by my email address, jeremy at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Better with Dr. Erica, hosted by Dr. Erica, provides support and guidance in navigating stress-related challenges to transform your relationship to self-care. 
Each episode arms you with the tools needed to be better, do better, and live better. There was an incredible episode that you should check out called Touch and Connections as Tools for Healing and Better Mental Health. In this episode, her guest breaks down ways to use physical touch as a form of healing for trauma and grief. Check out Better with Dr. Erica on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.